And so the fact that I was able to offer their patients something that had no side effects and wasn't going to interact directly with the chemotherapy that they were getting, they started being a little more open to it. And even if they were skeptical, which I know at first many of them were, they still, A, would refer their patients and B, felt comfortable. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. There are no shortcuts. Depth, it can't be hacked. There are no reliable quick fixes or jump starts. A stew that has simmered for six hours is fundamentally different than soup out of a can. The perspective that allows us to see the movie within the snapshot of uh, time that a patient is in our office, that comes from committed study and years of learning. It takes time to grow ourselves out of one perspective and into another. It takes years of commitment to something larger than ourselves. It takes the resiliency and the willingness to embark on a path that just might not work. Pretty much everything on Amazon, you know, it, it comes with a refund and free shipping if you don't like it, but pretty much everything of real value in life does not. There's this idea that it takes 10,000 hours to master something. I think that's wrong. I suspect that initial investment of 10,000 hours is required to have a shot at mastery. It's not a guarantee. It's the minimum ante to play the game. The problem with shortcuts is that you might skip over the essential foundational principles and thus never acquire the firm grounding needed for working things out when the going gets tough. And the going always gets tough. There's no way around working off our rough edges, biases, desires, images of how we think things should go. There's no way to avoid the failures that reveal our shortcomings with stark detail. It's impossible to navigate around laziness. And difficult as it is to confront how previous solutions have generated today's problems, it's incumbent upon us to do so. Shortcuts can make you feel smart in the same way that amphetamines create a false sense of being superhuman. It not only doesn't work, it takes you further from the mark you need to hit. There are always obstacles along the way. Some are of our own creation, others because of circumstances and conditions. Regardless of the source of our troubles, it's up to us to find a solution. And it's necessary to leave some room for the wisdom that comes from failure. There are no shortcuts, but the journey through can have unexpected rewards. It can take years for something to ripen and come to fruition. Try to appreciate the trip. In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation with Kim Garrett about working closely with conventional medicine doctors in the treatment of patients with cancer. It's not an easy task. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on diet as medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi, folks. I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. 
change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change, first the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things, are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you are helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. You can take advantage of automated SMS, text, or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up an available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. But especially for cancer patients, it can be a real benefit to have this kind of integrated care. Let's get into this conversation with Kim Garrett. Garrett, welcome to Geological. Good morning, Michael. We had some conversation recently, and I found out that you do quite a bit of work with the conventional medicine community. You interface quite a bit with doctors, you work with cancer, you do a lot of interfacing, really, with our conventional Western medicine community. And to me, that's like living in a foreign country. So I'm really excited to talk with you today about what it's like to work in that world. And especially for those who would like to be able to take our medicine, you know, and bring it out into that aspect of our society and that aspect of our, of our medical services, how you navigate that. I'm excited to talk about it. It's definitely, for me, it's just what I know and it's it's normal. So I've never thought of it as being outside of the box within the medicine that we practice. I think a lot probably has to do with my personal experiences and then just the path that got me to acupuncture and just what I've chosen to do since graduating from school. Well, tell us about that because I hear you say for you, it's not out of the box. And I think for a lot of us, we're thinking, man, that's about as out of the box as you can get. What did your path look like that this would not be out of the box? With full disclosure of, you know, my past, when I was in high school, I was diagnosed with cancer. And so I was thrust into the Western medical world in a way that I never would have expected. I mean, I spent an entire year of my life in hospitals and doctor's offices. And that was pretty much my life for a year. In high school? Yeah. It was, it was a couple days before I graduated from high school. I was diagnosed. Obviously, very unexpected. You know, I was diagnosed with rhabdomyosarcoma, which at that time was a relatively uncommon cancer. And it was pre-Google and pre-internet, which there was a lot of beauty to that, I have to say. And so I graduated from high school. I had surgery two days later. And then so began my journey through cancer and Western medicine. 
And I mean, unfortunately for me, I have to say I was a pretty um, headstrong, stubborn teenager. And so I was always questioning what was being told to me by the Western medical establishment and my doctors. And I, I was fortunate to have some great doctors and nurses who really listened to me and respected me as a patient and as a young person with cancer. When I was done with that part of my life, I couldn't envision ever doing anything with medicine. I just wanted to get as far away from it as possible. And so I went to college and studied environmental science, which is what I was always planning on doing, and got out of school and did that for a few years and spent every day in front of the computer, which just did not make my heart sing in a way that I could envision doing for the next many decades of my Isn't life. That funny? You want to do the environment. You want to be out in nature. And here you are like behind a yeah. computer. It's like, uh oh, <laughs> this is not working out the way I thought it would. Absolutely. Isn't, isn't that the conundrum of so many things? <laughs> you know, it, it is kind of a conundrum. It does show up in so many things. And I mean, I used to think that I was like kind of stupid because I'd make mistakes like that. It's like, oh, I think I'm going to do this so I can get that. But, you know, I think it's just part of like how life works out. You think it's going to take you in a certain direction and you start going there and then you realize, actually, I need a course correction. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the best things my mom ever said to me when I had various summer jobs or internships and I would just be complaining to her about it is she would always say, well, at least you know what you don't want to do. <laughs> no kidding. I've had some really crappy jobs in my life and they were instrumental in me going, you know, maybe my folks were right. I should go to college or you know what? I need to do something better with my life than this. You know, it can be a great motivation to have a terrible job. Yes, 100%. Mm -hmm. So yep. you're, you're going down the road of environmental science and working with the environment. You're trapped behind a computer. Then what happens? Yes. Um, I did a little bit of soul searching and just you know, really checked in with what it was that I wanted to be doing and what I could envision myself doing in my future life. And so decided that I was going to go to school for physical therapy. Now, how did you get from environmental science to physical therapy? What came up in that soul searching? That is an excellent question. Wow, this is taking me back many decades, Michael. I'll have to think about this. You know, at my core, I am definitely a person that that wants to serve and that wants to be helping people, for lack of a better way to say things. And, and working with people directly was something that I probably wasn't able to articulate at the time, but I just knew in my in my gut that that's what I wanted to be doing and sitting behind a computer was not doing not that. Yep. You wanted yeah. to be involved firsthand, hands on. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so I you know it was like I could go back to school, graduate school for something related to environmental science and possibly go down that path of, you know, working with people in a different capacity, but I just I wasn't seeing it and and I chose physical therapy honestly because I had never ever been exposed to anything outside traditional Western medicine. Well, at the time, I, I thought I didn't want to be working in a hospital, in a doctor's office. So something like nursing or medical school weren't really on my mm -hmm. radar. Mm -hmm. After your previous experience, like, yes, let's stay away from that. Yeah. But curious, isn't it, that you still, you still somehow in that soul searching came back to something that had to do with medicine. Absolutely. Yeah. Life is funny. Absolutely. That statement, wherever you go, there you are. It's like no matter how much I tried to run away from my experiences when I was 18, they were so much a part of me that, you know, I could I could keep trying to run, but they were always going to come back. And mm -hmm. I have found that I met my fate on the road I took to avoid it. <laughs> That's a great quote. Absolutely. Intuitively, I knew that things could be different and that things could be better in the treatment of people with disease. And PT seemed like one, one way to make that happen. So I did all of the prereqs to go back to school. And in the meantime, I also got licensed in massage 
And I started working at or volunteering at an amazing clinic in Berkeley, California called the Charlotte Maxwell Clinic. Oh, it's a great place. It's amazing. It's incredible. And and all y'all's listening to this, I can't remember the show number right now, but we did a conversation with the folks at Charlotte Maxwell. I'm 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 not remembering her name at this moment. Oh, excellent. But yeah, the woman who's the executive director there, lovely woman whose name I cannot remember at the moment. But yeah, Charlotte Maxwell House, we we've got a geological conversation there. They're doing oh, I'm amazing to to stuff. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. 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 Just just grassroots but top-notch healthcare, the services that they offer at no cost for women going through Western medical treatments. And I was doing massage and and that's how I was introduced to acupuncture. And to be honest, at the time, I thought that you went to school for three months and that you only treated low back pain. I knew nothing <laughs> about acupuncture. Yeah. Well, I mean, none of us do in the beginning. How could we? We're Westerners. We don't grow up with mm-hmm. this stuff. Yeah. I mean, now kids are growing up with it. I've got kids that I see, you know, that I treat, you know, when they're like preteen and teens and, you know, now they're coming back from college. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm back from college and, you know, we, you know, they come in and get treated. So they do grow up with it now, but not when we were young. I know it's amazing to think about those, those young ones that it's just going to be normal to them to be like, it's well, of course I go to the acupuncturist. Duh. <laughs> I hurt my I hurt my neck. Of course, I'm going to go see the acupuncturist. Yeah, yeah. My menstruation's not working well. I better go see right. the acupuncturist. Yeah, exactly. It, so, yeah, it, I mean, it is happening, right? We're seeing a cultural shift in that way. We're part of it just because we're doing the work, and you know, time goes on, and people grow up and with it. They grow up with it. If you grow up with it, it's not weird. But you didn't grow up with it. You grew up with cancer in high school instead. And so you came around to acupuncture. It caught your attention. What about it caught your attention? That's something, and obviously we know that the body and the meridians, it's a very complex system, but just looking at it from, you know, up above, that's something as simple as sticking in a few painless needles to someone can make them feel that much better. And just seeing the women at the Charlotte Maxwell Clinic that had horrendous side effects that I could relate to firsthand and leave their treatments feeling like a different person was profound to me. It made me think, why is this just not standard of care within Western cancer treatment? Because when you're going through something like chemotherapy, radiation, multiple surgeries, even just to have one day of feeling better is gold. And so it, it just seemed like something that had that I wanted to see make become more mainstream because of how powerful it was and what these women were experiencing. And so I quickly just course corrected and decided to go to acupuncture school and started acupuncture school, never having had acupuncture myself. <laughs> and Simply from watching the results on the other people. Yes. Yeah, well, that's that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking to the people that the acupuncturists at the Charlotte Maxwell Clinic and just realizing the herbs, the the dietary nutrition, the movement therapy, the the shiatsu, everything else that was involved with it. And it just seemed it for me it just was so much more of a holistic form of medicine that really spoke to my heart. And so deciding to go to acupuncture school versus going to school for PT, it it just made sense. It was something that I didn't even really, once I made that decision, I didn't overthink it. Isn't it wonderful on occasion when something comes along and we just look at it and go, yep, that's for me. Yes. Should I do this? Should I not? No, it's like there's no back and forth. Sometimes it's like that way. Yes, it's refreshing. It <laughs> yeah, well, I can count on my, I can count on one hand how many times I've had right. decisions exactly. I've made in my life where there was no back and forth and soul searching and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I hear it. It's like, I hear and obey. That's it. Done. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I will obey. No questions asked. Yeah, I I'm surrender. moving forward. <laughs> Great. So from the very beginning, you've, you've not separated Chinese medicine from the conventional system. So. You do acupuncture school. What happens after that? 
Um, after acupuncture school, I moved to Bend, Oregon. Good move. Beautiful place. Yeah. Oh my yes. God. I, I feel very, very grateful that I moved here when I did. I mean, kind of going back to what you were saying about just knowing and obeying, I I just had this deep knowing of I will be working with conventional Western medical treatment in some capacity. And so I started an acupuncture practice and was treating, you know, the things that one would expect to be treating in an acupuncture practice. And this was 15 years ago. So, I mean, it had come a long way, but it was still relatively new. So treating lots of low back pain, neck pain, all the usual. And from day one, I just made it my mission to connect with the cancer center here in Bend. And it literally was, I don't know how else to say it other than it was a very grassroots project of my own. There was, there was nothing fancy about it. Um, it was just constant phone calls showing up in person at the cancer center saying, Hey, look at me, here I am. Um, just trying to get them comfortable with me in any way, shape or form. Cause at that time it was from an oncologist perspective, it was definitely a little out there and not something that many of them were familiar with or felt comfortable with. For good reason. They don't know much about it. Exactly. Right? Yep. It, 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 and we know this about Western medicine. If it's not in the literature, then it's suspect. Correct. Right? Yeah. And it needs to be in the literature over and over and over again sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So here you are showing up. Here I am. Look at me. You're knocking on their doors. How long did it take to start getting some traction with that conventional world? And, and do you have any thoughts from that experience about how to make connections with that world if that's something that you would like to do? Absolutely. Well, to your first question, there, I, there came a time when it was just right timing and right opportunity. And I started working with a woman at the cancer center to develop an acupuncture program that would be in-house at the, the cancer center at the hospital here. And from the time that I started knocking on the doors and showing up until the time that I signed a contract with them, that was seven years. I would say patience Although things probably happen a little quicker now, just because there is more, there is more evidence, there is more literature, there is more, more of it happening. So patience and a lot of humility. I didn't go in there and show up and tell them that I'm going to cure your patients or I'm going to make everybody feel better. I just started very simple about I, you know, I just really want to help people feel better a little bit. And these are the ways that it can help. You know, I definitely accessed studies and accessed the literature and always had some sort of backup as far as this is what the evidence is showing. So it wasn't just me showing up. I mean, I definitely had literature that I brought along with me. So you were speaking their language. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I was speaking it to them and sometimes I was just leaving it for them because there were a lot of times where they didn't necessarily make the time to, to talk to me. Wow. But you kept hanging on that door. They were not even making time to talk to you but you're still just, you're still hammering away. Yeah, it was that deep knowing of I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. I definitely, if I get like set on something, I will find a way to make it happen. <laughs> and to me, it also just, it seemed obvious. Like why we need to do this. Maybe it's new. Maybe it's uncomfortable for people, but this needs to happen. So I need to do whatever I can to make this happen. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. 
Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. Isn't it interesting, too, when you get your mind set on it, the obstacles that show up, man, of course, obstacles show up, because anytime we set out to do something that hasn't been done or it's worth doing, obstacles will show up, but it's like they don't stop you. It's, it's almost, at least in my experience, the obstacles don't stop you. They kind of, they kind of encourage you. They like keep you fired up. It's like, okay, well, I can't do it that way, but what about this way? Or, you know, if I just keep, yeah. I, I 100% agree. Yep. It's, it's like a challenge. Like, oh, okay, I'll take on this challenge. <laughs> yeah. And so it fires you up more than damps you down. Yep. Okay. Yep. So you're, you're leaving information, you're talking to them. When did the ice start to thaw? It, it's interesting because I'm, I'm having to remember back, you know, all of these years. And I was also doing presentations. I mean, nothing huge. At the time, Bend wasn't a huge, huge town. So I was doing little presentations here and there. And the people that were my allies were really supporting me to get out there. Because the, you know, I always had like a few allies that I would you know, connect with, whether it was a nurse or a navigator or somebody that was doing the survivorship program. And so they were trying to plug me in where I could. Mm-hmm. I started seeing patients, oncology patients that were probably mostly self-referral at first. I started treating those patients and they would go back and tell their doctors and tell their nurses. And so it was very much patient-driven at first. That makes sense. That, you know, and one of the things I found really curious, I don't know if you ran into this. Sometimes people can have very extraordinary results with acupuncture, not always, but sometimes. And sometimes things will change and it's like, that's not supposed to be possible. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. All you listening know what we're talking about. And yet when patients go back and report this to their doctors, the doctors like glaze over or dismiss it, or change the conversation. They don't go like, what? How is that even possible? Yes, absolutely. So I suspect you ran into that kind of a problem, where doctors were like ignoring it. What what made them stop ignoring it? I mean, it was multiple factors, but I think some of it was that the work I was doing with their patients started making their jobs easier especially something like neuropathy. They don't have a lot to offer their patients for neuropathy. And it's a debilitating side effect that can often delay and even have to end the Western medical treatments for their patients. And so the fact that I was able to offer their patients something that had no side effects and wasn't going to interact directly with the chemotherapy that they were getting, they started being a little more open to it. And even if they were skeptical, which I know at first many of them were, they still, A, would refer their patients and B, felt comfortable doing it. When I say that I had a lot of humility, one of the things that I ran into very early on in this journey that I had to take a step back and just accept and embrace is that, I mean, one of my favorite parts of going to school for Chinese medicine was herbal medicine. It was just, it, it changed my life. What I saw happen with it was profound. But what I realized is once I wanted to step into the conventional medical world, especially within the world of oncology, is herbs were not accepted and they were not welcome. And the fact that I made a very conscious decision early on to just not do herbal therapies with my oncology patients, I think also started to build trust between the doctors and myself. I just had to accept that. And I, you know, and my herbal skills have definitely started to lag because I haven't been using them as much, but it's just, it's a trade-off that I was willing to make. Yeah. If you want to get to a certain place, you have to, you have to work within that system. Yeah. To some degree. And so you, you just said two things that really ring a bell for me. One is build the trust, not using herbal medicine actually builds trust with that community. Yes. And make their job easier. Build trust, make their job easier. Yes. When I was talking about patients going back to tell their doctors that they were 
you know, that they were feeling better. It, it was interesting because working with people in the midst of treatment, it, it's hard to know how much at times that we're actually helping them because it can be just such a brutal treatment bef- because and they, uh, with them just feeling so awful. And so I would often wonder, what am I actually doing for these patients? Are they feeling better? And then because often when they come in for treatments, they're so tired, they feel so awful. There's not a ton of communication that happens because they just don't have the energy to communicate. And then down the road, they'll actually start talking about like, oh my gosh, the treatments that I had with you were lifesavers. Just, you know, I would come in feeling one way and leave feeling another way. I can't even imagine having gone through my treatment without using acupuncture. And so I think that they were definitely relaying that information to their doctors more so than they were necessarily relaying it to me. I've had some cancer patients that I've treated over the years and, and I don't know, you know, things kind of come in like phases, right? Maybe it's the universe just trying to get our attention in a certain kind of way. And so it like hits us over the head in the same way a few times. Absolutely. And and I had, I had a couple of patients who both passed away within, you know, a similar timeframe. And I remember calling their, their spouses to express my condolences because that's the kind of practitioner I am. I just do that. Right. Because you kind of get to know the family a bit. And and I heard from, from them how the acupuncture, how they expressed to them and how they saw that the acupuncture would give this oasis in the midst of a very difficult time and how helpful it was to the person. And, you know, we don't, we don't always hear that directly from our patients. You know, like you're saying, you, you could hear it from the doctors. I, I heard it from, you know, some surviving family members. Um, it, it's sometimes hard to know the impact that we're having. And I don't want to, I don't want to blow this up into saying, Hey, there's stuff going on behind the scenes that, you know, is great, but you don't know about it. At the same time, if we have a way of getting information about our patients, um, you know, from other caregivers, it helps us to help them better. And it helps us to know how our treatments are going. Cause, cause you don't always hear the straight story from the patient. They're too close to it. There's just too close to it. Well, and I'm just thinking about one of the podcasts that you did, Michael, on listening and, you know, talking about what it is that we offer to our patients. We're obviously not therapists, but sometimes just a safe space for people to be able to talk and to be listened to, especially in the midst of something as tiring and as difficult as a cancer diagnosis and treatment is huge. And so it's, there, there's so many layers of what we can offer our patients. You've been doing this for a while now. D- tell us a little bit about what your practice looks like at this point. I mean, it sounds like in the beginning you just started doing some work um, with a hospital Actually, let's dig a little bit more into that. A hospital. I know that I've I've attempted to reach out to a few hospitals here in the St. Louis area. It's it's not gone well, but we're having this conversation today and I realize I haven't been banging on their door for 7 years in a concerted way either. For people who might want to do some of this work, how can they get started? I think it depends on the individual because going back to what I said is that it takes a lot of patience and perseverance. So what is it that's going to fire you up? And so there's the whole gamut of, there's a lot of courses out there now that can walk people through the logistical stuff of how to make it happen, how to create the documents, what's necessary. In my personal experience, I think one of the most important things was just to use every resource that I had. And when I say resource, I'm referring to personal connections and just, you know, not being afraid to ask for, hey, would you be willing to help me get a meeting with this person? Would you be willing to consider a venue in which it would be appropriate for me to talk about what acupuncture is and what it can do? In my case, it was definitely a lot of patience and perseverance and accessing the 
the literature that was out there. And then it was also just a lot of talking to people and meetings. And meetings, I often felt like were going absolutely nowhere. And then six months down the road, I'd get a phone call saying, hey, I remember when we met six months ago, would you be willing to come back in and talk to the doctors? So finding your allies and really utilizing your allies and building upon those and continuing to comb the research and comb the literature so you always have something to offer and just being, you know, even during the lulls of never talking to anyone, I would continue to send emails just saying, hey, oh, here's a late a study that recently came out. And one thing that I did that I'm just remembering is I asked to do clinical hours with some of the oncologists where I would spend time with them in their practice with their patients. And there were some people that said, no, I'm not comfortable that, doing that. And there were other people that were excited about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and they were excited to be able to be somewhat of a teacher and a mentor to someone. And that also expanded my knowledge. You know, what is it that these patients are coming in with and talking about? I had the experience of going through treatment myself, so I knew a lot of the words. I'm familiar with a lot of the drugs. And I think just familiarizing yourself with whatever it is that you're really interested in. And so if it's oncology, you know, getting familiar with what are the side effects, what are some of the treatment protocols, and there's no way to know all of it because it's constantly changing and it's very involved and complicated. But just being familiar with it so when patients come in, and say things, you don't feel like a deer in headlights as far mm-hmm. as what is it that this have person to be is conversant. talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I would think that would build a lot of trust with the patient. I think it would build a huge amount of trust with the, any doctors that you're working with if you can fluently speak their language. Absolutely. Yep. What's your practice look like these days? I worked at the cancer center for about three years and that was always just, I was only there two days. I will, at first I was there one day a week and then it expanded to two days a week. And what kind of treatments were you doing? It, I mean, it was all acupuncture. I also incorporate a, some body work into my treatments, mostly just to relax the nervous system. I had quite a few parameters around what I was and wasn't able to talk about and to, to, to discuss with my patients. So no herbs, no supplements. I did very limited dietary therapy discussions with them. So it was very much just acupuncture, you know, for all of the obvious things that you would think of, nausea, digestive issues, lots and lots of neuropathy, definitely quite a few patients with high anxiety. And after three years, it was just, I could tell it was time for me to pass the reins off to someone else because as doing that work at the cancer center just made me realize the great need of what these patients needed. And I wanted to be able to start incorporating MOXA into my treatments. And I wanted to be able to go a little deeper if we did want to discuss dietary nutrition or some supplements. And that was no longer the appropriate um, environment for me to be doing that. So I passed the reins on and it felt great. And the program is still going. And there's an amazing, wonderful acupuncturist there that continues to do the work. And I feel like the, the program is very stable. I wanted to make sure that the program was stable and was something that was going to be lasting even as people moved on and the reins were passed on. And you did that. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it was important to me. I mean, after seven years, I wanted to make sure that it was going to be something that had some longevity to it. (laughs) Sustainability is an important thing. Sustainability is. Yeah. And, And I was fortunate to have people there that were very supportive of the program and worked with me to make sure that it was sustainable. And at a certain point, it, it just became sustainable to itself because, you know, treating that number of patients and that would often immediately go to have appointments with their doctors or immediately go to their radiation treatments, they would have instant feedback for their doctors and nurses. So those that may have been skeptical were no longer skeptical because on a daily basis, they were hearing and they were also seeing the efficacy of the treatments. Yes. And it was not just from that weirdo acupuncturist across town. It's from something within their own domain. It's a, it's a program they've got within their own hospital. Exactly. All right. So that yes. sort of emotional, you know, immune system, you know, that thought control immune system 
doesn't doesn't jump in, right? It's like, oh, this is part of us. Yes. This acupuncture is doing something. Yeah. Yeah. And they, so they had a sense of ownership of it. Mm, there it is. That's the word I was looking for, ownership. Not from outside. It's from inside. Yep. That's where you get the ownership. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So I, I want to pick your brain on a couple of things. Because neuropathy, that's a tough one. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. Have you got some uh, experience that you could share with us in, in treating that, especially for, for cancer treatments? Because it is not uncommon. No, it's, yeah, it's amazingly common. It's, it's, like, it's like you can expect it. It's like, all right, I'm signing up for some neuropathy here. Have you got some ideas on, on treating, treating that? I mean, that's been the fun thing about this work that I've been doing and the fact that I have been doing it for many, many years now is just to see the evolution of how acupuncture is being used in side effects such as neuropathy. There's not a ton of research out there about neuropathy and the various treatments of it. And there's very few Western medical treatments out there. And so... Here's your prescription for gabapentin. Yeah, exactly. See you next week. Yep. Yeah. And hopefully it works. <laughs> Fingers crossed. And hopefully the side effects aren't too bad. What I would say, which we know this about acupuncture in general, but I've actually been able to witness it firsthand and have an oncologist here in Bend that has also witnessed it. Even And even though we haven't necessarily talked about this directly, this is just kind of the path that our relationship has moved forward together on is getting people, we know the chemotherapy drugs that cause neuropathy. So if we know that a patient is going to be getting those drugs, we start them in acupuncture before their first treatment. And so what I have seen is that, you know, treating people at the end of their chemotherapy when the neuropathy is so severe it's an uphill battle that takes a long time and often isn't even, you know, extremely effective. So what one of the oncologists here in Bend has been doing is he refers his patients and specifically tells them, you need to get acupuncture before your first chemo. And so, um, and then we treat weekly if necessary Honestly, I've been amazed personally to see that a patient that would have had these drugs in the past and known acupuncture, what their neuropathy symptoms would have been like versus the people that are starting acupuncture before they even get the first chemo. It's night and day difference. It's it like it blows my mind. This is a great project for some doctoral student. If they want to do some research, here's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, we talk about standard of care so much, and I think that with within chemotherapy, I that's what I would love to see happen is to have acupuncture be standard of care for anyone that potentially could have the side effect of peripheral neuropathy. And started early on. That makes a lot of sense because if we can take care of something when it's still weak or avoid it entirely, starting early, I mean, we know this. That's the time to do it. You don't want to go dig a well when you're thirsty. So in the treatment of neuropathy, especially in a preventative fashion, what kinds of things are you looking to do with your treatments that you found to be most effective? You know, seeing people before they get the chemo as well is helpful to just understand their constitution. So going back to making a differential diagnosis because, you know, someone that's coming in with blood deficiency they need to definitely have that boosted before they even start chemo because that can often lead to very intense neuropathy. So just getting a differential diagnosis and really focusing on that um, in addition to doing all of the neuropathy points like Bafong and Bashi. And and I also do a lot of Moxa, unless someone has a ton of heat in their body because typically when people are going through chemo, they tend to be more on the cold side and then also have more stagnation, whether it's specifically from the chemotherapy or the lack of movement that they're getting because from not feeling well. Lots of moxa, you know, doing some body work. And then 
just the nature of my practice is very um, integrative and collaborative. And so there's are some physical therapists in town that I work collaboratively with often with patients with neuropathy because, you know, cold laser is one of the things that has shown to be effective for neuropathy. And so often for more difficult cases, working with those people collaboratively, they'll get better results. And also just working on balance issues because the last thing you want is for somebody to, for their balance to get so compromised that they start having falls, which can happen with neuropathy. Yeah. That's, that's one of the big problems is people's balance goes, and then they have, you know, it's just, it's hard to even get out and exercise. I mean, taking a walk around the block can be a real challenge. Yep. What kind of moxa do you like to use? What's, what's your, there's so many different kinds of moxa. What do you, what kind of moxa are you doing? I do mostly indirect moxa. I, I don't do um, the the rice kernel moxa. I didn't have a lot of moxa training when I was in school. And so mm-hmm. it's been a lot of, you know, post-school work and then just doing, you know, personal, um, personal experience and training. And so I do a lot of indirect moxa and I'm always changing up what I do based on the season and if I can open the windows or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because my eyes have yeah, my eyes and lungs have definitely become more sensitive to moxa over the years. I also will send patients home with moxa sticks to do indirect moxa on themselves. Then that way they can be doing it on a daily basis. And I find that patients love doing that because they love being able to do something for themselves that makes them feel better. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they are feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP-certified facilities, and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Especially when it makes you feel better. Yeah. Especially when you notice the results. So if you like Moxie, um, I've got a a recommendation for you, something to check out. You might find it interesting. Yeah. So I interviewed a cat about, God, about a year ago now. His name is Oren Kaviti, and he does this Antaki warm bamboo Moxie. So it's a little piece of bamboo about the size of your thumb, and you fill it with Moxie, and you light it on fire. It's not not very smoky, which is great for me because I have weak lungs. So it's not real smoky, but, you know, it gets warm and you can use rhythm and you can use motion and it, it's actually an incredible technique. Oh, I and love that. I, I think you're going to love it to pieces, actually. I, I, I suspect because you use a lot of moxa. So it's this blend of like direct and indirect because you, you're getting, you can get like get in and work with the fashion. You can work with the tissues he works it with like the Monica rhythms and things. So there, there's an element of percussion and rhythm along with it. I, I like getting moxa. I don't like doing moxa. I don't like the indirect moxa cause it's too smoky and I can't. And I don't like the rice grain cause I just don't have the personality to do this super fine. I just, I just, that's just not me, but this warm bamboo thing like straddles in between these. It's really fun. Is that what it's called? Is warm bamboo moxa? Yeah. Well, it's called Antake. Antake. Um, okay. Which I think translates as like warm bamboo. He's got a book out. Um, okay. Go listen to the podcast. Okay. It was from like a year ago. I don't know the okay. number off the top of my head. Perfect. Um, but if you're into moxa, 
this stuff and it's fun and patients love it. Well, and it's always fun to, to learn to new techniques and do new techniques, especially when patients love it. Especially when patients love it. Yeah. And especially when the practitioner loves it. Yes. I have a hard time practicing stuff I don't love. I can't. I don't. Well, it's just not authentic. <laughs> it's got to fit for the practitioner. Absolutely. Yes. So integrative medicine is, it's kind of a buzzword. It's like a big thing in our, in our profession these days. There's even schools that are like changing their names to be like, you know, school of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And integrative medicine. It's like oriental medicine where you can't even say oriental anymore. So it's like, now it's integrative medicine. It's becoming a big thing. You've been in a sense working with integrative medicine just because of, uh, the, the kind of honey badger person you are, you know, you went for something. How do you see integrative medicine today? And, and how do you see it changing in say the next five years from the perspective of, of, of being an acupuncturist. How do you see this? Well, I know how I want to see it. <laughs> and then mm. versus how I do see it. It's interesting when I think back to when I first moved to Bend and honey badger personality, that's an interesting thing, how I just had that honey badger personality and how that's so important <laughs> and how I've, I'm trying to not allow that to get beaten out of me. Um, because I personally and believe that, and yeah, integrative medicine is a buzzword and I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it because it's easy to use and it's difficult to actually put into practice. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons for that. I think a huge one of it is purely time. As healthcare practitioners, most people are overworked and just don't have that time to really collaborate with other practitioners to truly give integrative care. But I believe just because of the efficacy of integrative medical treatments, as well as the general compared to conventional medicine treatments, the low cost nature of them, I believe that if utilized correctly and appropriately and widespread, wide scale, that it's going to be one of the saving graces of our healthcare system. And so that is one of the things that continues to motivate me to do what I do, even when I get frustrated and feel like I'm climbing this uphill battle. And just remembering that slow and steady is what wins the race. And that that is my end goal is to see integrative medicine really used widely. And, and I know everyone has, has different comfort levels with it and different desires to work within it. And so it's definitely not for everyone, but in the amount of time that I've been doing the work and the type of work that I've been doing, I definitely have seen more of a desire within conventional medicine to find a way to make it happen. And, as I've, you know, I've been on this journey and I've, I've done a lot of informational interviews and I've done a lot of digging and I've done a lot of projects and it's not for lack of people wanting it to happen. It's for just a not knowing to how to make it happen because we do come from these two different worlds often. And so one of the things that when I first started, and and while most of probably fifty percent of my practice is oncology, the other fifty percent is neuromuscular and just lifestyle and wellness. And so I've worked with all sorts of doctors in Bend and in Central Oregon. And anytime I would go to introduce myself to them, often what the what they would say is, "No acupuncturist has ever made the effort to try to meet with me and to try to talk to me about what it is that acupuncture does." Um, so it's not really rocket science. It's just that, and, and unfortunately, and I think that this is where it's easy for us to, as acupuncturists, alternative healthcare practitioners, integrative practitioners, whatever you want to call us, it's easy for us to get resentful that we're the ones that have to put in the effort. But I think that that is, to a large degree, that is the truth. And there are other, there's conventional practitioners that are also making it happen. But I think that there is 
a slightly higher level of responsibility that does fall on us if this is what we want to happen. And for me personally, because when I think back to my experience post high school getting chemotherapy, my life would have been a million times better and a million times more enhanced if I would have had access to acupuncture. And so it's it's very much a personal mission for me because I want all patients to have that opportunity. And so I'm willing to put in some extra effort and some extra time and to swallow my pride in order to make it happen in whatever capacity. So what I'm hearing you say is for on our part as acupuncturists, less sense of entitlement, more elbow grease. Perfect, Michael. Yes. And it pays off. You know, it does in time. In time. Yes. With persistence and dedication. A lot of us have a hard time with rejection. It's like, well, I went and talked to him once. That didn't work. I, I talked to him three times. Oh, I guess I don't, you know, I, I guess that's just not possible. How how do you deal with the rejection that goes with this? Like lots of rejection. Like a lot more rejection than acceptance, at least in the beginning. How do you get through that stuff? Well, like I said, I always had my allies. And so I would always connect with them and just be reminded that there are people that, you know, were were out there supporting me, rooting me on. And also, I had a lot of interesting experiences where I would have a meeting actually set up with a doctor and I'd walk in and they'd be like, you have three minutes. And they'd give me three minutes and it would seem completely that they weren't listening to anything that I said. And then two months later, I would get a referral. And so, yeah, the rejection was not easy and it made me question what I was doing at times, but it just, I think it, you know, that honey badger personality (laughs) and that strong desire, (laughs) that strong desire that in the end, it's about the patient. It's not my ego. Mm-hmm. So I uh-huh. know so it's not about you. Correct. You didn't take it personally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Of course I want, I want to have a thriving practice. I want to have referrals from doctors, but at the end of the day, you know, why do I want those referrals from doctors? It's because I know that I can make their patients lives better. And that's what I want to be able to offer. How do you see Chinese medicine and more conventional forms of cancer treatment looking five years from now? I believe that if we continue to, you know, thank goodness for the researchers. I personally am not a researcher, but it's important to work to be done. And I believe that, you know, with research continuing to be done and herbals therapy continuing to be explored, I think that there's not necessarily on a widespread scale, but I do think that there might become some marriage of going beyond just acupuncture for the cancer patient, that we might see start to see some herbs being used within cancer treatment. And Memorial Sloan Kettering has a huge research department, and they are starting to do research of certain herbs in, in cancer treatment. And so I think that, you know, beyond just the simple modality of acupuncture, that there might be more integration of Chinese medicine. There's a lot of integration of naturopathic medicine within oncology care. And I think that that has a lot to do with that the research is actually being done. And it's it's easier because it's often a supplement, a herb. It's not these extremely complicated formulas that have 15 different herbs in them where one could interact with the chemotherapy. So I think it's going to be slow and steady, but I think we are going to start to see some integration of Chinese herbs in addition to acupuncture within oncology care. But we've got to get it into the literature. Correct. Mm-hmm. Again, this is this is these are great opportunities for our profession and great opportunities for people that are doing doctoral work and and have a, you know have kind of a mojo for for research. Well, and I love what you were just being very honest about earlier that it's not your personality to do rice grain moxa, and that you know you're very clear about what it is that 
you want to be doing within your practice. And I think that that's, you know, something within acupuncture, some people graduating from Chinese medicine schools, we just have to be really willing to what is it that fires us up? And we don't all have to be doing exactly the same thing. I oh, mean, God, no, thank goodness. Exactly. Yeah. So for those of us that want to do herbs or we want to do research or we, you know, want to only do acupuncture, that's great. And we all just need to to really commit to doing those things so that we can further the medicine. I think you just put your finger right on it. The thing that fires us up. Whatever that thing is that fires us up, that's the thing to follow. That's where we can make a contribution. And it's where we're going to find the energy that sustains us in getting through the inevitable difficulties because, of course, they're going to be there. Anything worth doing that hasn't been done yet, you're going to run into a lot of trouble on the way. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, there's never there's never an end point, but along the way, there are these little moments where we can look back and be like, oh, that that rejection that made me so distraught five years ago actually has helped me get where I am today. And so we need we need to let go of instant gratification. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. I was just having a conversation with a friend the other day about how, uh, because of the internet and just society as it is right now, everything is geared to seriously instant gratification. Not like, and it's not like I want it today. It's like I want it yesterday type instant gratification. And things really do take time. And, and to be able to cultivate that longer sense of I'm on this path <laughs> and there are these challenges that come up and they're actually opportunities. Uh, hearing you talk about a, a rejection that you had or a bad experience that you had and you look back and you go, oh, that was kind of a turning point. Oh, there was something I learned in that. The best, not always, but often some things that at the moment felt like horrible failures to me. I mean, shit really <laughs> falling apart. There was a doctor I was studying with in Beijing years ago. She was a Shanghai Lun expert. And I undertook the study before my language really was good enough to do it. And at a certain point, I had to back out. It's like, it's very embarrassing for both of us. It's like, I can't, I can't continue with this. I don't have the chops. Terrible failure. And I'm in Beijing of all places. And now I got to go back and like work on my Chinese some more. And at that point, someone hands me this little book on this thing called Formula Families that I start reading, right? It was the way I practiced my Chinese was to read that book. Well, that turned into me meeting Dr. Huang, and I ended up getting to translate his book. But I'm telling you something, that winter of like 2003, when everything fell apart was not good. That was bad. But that thing that got me through it was like, oh, I'm going to just practice my Chinese by reading this book. And it turned out to be like one of the greatest opportunities in my life. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes. They don't always happen, but they can happen. But it's really hard in the moment of failure or rejection to like somehow stick with it. Any advice that you have for folks on sticking with it when it's all falling apart? <laughs> wow. I mean, it, it sounds rather cliche, but I think it's important to acknowledge the little successes, the one patient that comes in that tells you, oh my gosh, I haven't had any nausea for the past week. It's the first time in the past six months that I haven't had any nausea. And also to have life outside of Chinese medicine and work. I mean, what are the things that make my heart happy beyond that so that I'm always returning to those because so that I can be re-energized and not given to the little failures and giving up. 
And I think having, a, you know, a support system of whatever capacity that looks like, whether it's other acupuncturists or other practitioners that I can, I can talk to if I'm having a really tough day, it goes back to what we've talked about numerous times. What is it that fires us up? Because what is it that's going to get us off the couch again when we feel like we can't deal with another day of failures and rejections? And so really being clear on what it is that fires me up and what's important to me. That makes a lot of sense. It'll take you a long way and through a lot of troubles. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Kim, anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we wind this down for today? I would just say from a very selfish perspective that if anyone is interested in integrating within conventional medicine a little more, do it. We need it. Patients want it. Our healthcare system needs it. It's my ultimate dream to see it integrated more. And I know it's not for everyone. And I'm not saying everyone needs to go out and do it. But if you have even the slightest interest in it, do it. And, and find your allies and find the people that are going to help you along that path and be patient and know that in the end, good things are going to happen. They might not happen when you want them to, but you are going to have successes and you're going to have successes that you wouldn't have even dreamed imaginable and they're not going to come instantly and they might even take way longer than you want, but do it. Our healthcare system needs it. And for me, it's my ultimate goal. And I would love to have people sharing the journey with me. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. All right. Thank you, Michael. This has been really fun. If I've heard anything about creating a practice that will sustain you, it comes down to persistence and a sense of who it is that you want to serve and what kind of change that you'd like to see in the world. Our practices are the opposite of the modern-day suggestion that everything should happen quickly. Practices take time, and it takes us time to grow into them as well. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.